0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Sharpest Tool, where we take the sting out of marketing. My name is Josh Smith. I'm your host and the vice president of marketing here at Home Services. And today, back with me in the virtual booth, I have John Wilson of Wilson Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. And John is a fantastic guest. If you missed the first episode, you definitely want to take a look at that. He's based out of Akron, Ohio, and he's part of a long legacy of uh, the home services industry. His grandparents started Wilson Plumbing, and heating over 60 years ago. And he bought the company from his father in 2016, made it through the wonderful pandemic in 2020, and he now owns multiple businesses and is looking to acquire more and continue to grow the business and is just a great spokesperson, a lot of insight for the home services industry. I have no doubt when you listen to him speak, you will learn something too. So John, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. Well, for those who missed the first episode, let's give everybody a little bit of insight into who you are and what you're about.
1: All right. So I bought my family's company in 2016 and worked to just instill best practices, grow it aggressively. Uh, and we've done that through marketing, mm-hmm. acquisitions. And now I operate outside of the company and, and that company is run by general manager.
0: Awesome. I love that. So in our first episode, you touched on um, how updated training, documentation, marketing practices, others have really taken the company to the next level. And I really want to dive into that further because I think that's there's well, the way I break it out for homes, most home service businesses. There's kind of three stages, and that second stage is so critical. And that's the establishing of those standard operating hmm. procedures. That first stage is you're still operating in the truck, but then you got to get out of the truck at some point. When you get out of the truck, yeah. you start hiring employees. Now you got to standardize your experience, you got to have an experience that's consistent for all your customers. So tell me a little bit about this. Which of those things, training, documentation, or processes, or marketing, did you focus on first when you took over as CEO? And why did you choose those, that particular one to focus on?
1: I think I want to focus on the plateau part first. So what you're describing is plateaus mm-hmm. and 100%. What you should be focusing on depends on which plateau you're at. Yeah. So the first big plateau that most companies hit is at a million and a half to $2 million in sales. Mm-hmm you run into that plateau because the owner is still owner operator. There's no service manager, maybe an office manager, but most of everything that comes in is still going direct to that owner. And the owner doesn't want to, or doesn't know how to hire a service manager or ops manager to take over. Mm -hmm. So that's really the first big plateau that most folks run into. So when we were there, because we grew through that, like we were at a million when I first took Mm -hmm. over, I moved from the field into that service manager position and started focusing on the things that we needed to focus on to be better. So that was flat rate pricing, that was uh, going cloud-based, and I really wasn't even focusing at that time on standardizing our procedures, because honestly, I didn't even know that that would would have been a good idea at the time. Uh. (laughs) Sort of... It was, it was the next plateau that I was like, Oh God, we need to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When, when you engaged in that particular change, you know, when you're moving to flat rate pricing, for example, how'd you go about that with the company was, did you find there to be a lot of resistance or was it pretty well received?
1: We were so small. It was pretty well received. Okay. You know, if you're going to make sweeping operational changes, Uh, the moment to do it is when you are sub 10 employees, (laughs) like that is life is much easier. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. And the ship gets that much harder to
0: steer the larger it gets. Yeah. I have no doubt. Um, what has kind of made the most impact do you think on the business based off those things that you've implemented since you took over?
1: I would say honing in on our, how to manage, how to hire managers, how to hold those managers accountable. And, and that sort of trickled down to the rest of the staff, but that took me a couple of years to learn. Um, I was always extremely, I knew that I was never going to be an integral part of the business. Mm. So I think that's different than how most owners go into this. They assume that they're going to go into it and run the company. The day I bought that company, I knew that I had to be out of operations in like two years because it was going to drive me nuts. So I took a different approach. So I went way faster at it. So I had to learn very quickly how to hire managers, hold them accountable metrics for the company. That way they knew if we were winning or losing. And then that sort of translated into HR and how we deal with our technicians and everything else. Yeah. Why do you
0: think that's so difficult for some home service business owners to kind of get out of that space and start getting into the business
1: space? I think the blanket advice that people are given is you need to get out of the truck. And honestly, you don't. Like if you're not good outside of that truck, then you should just stay in the truck. Yeah, My point is play to your strengths. Mm. So I knew from a, like a long time ago, <laughs> the that like the two or three things in life that I'm good at, uh, like really good at, like these are the things that I should focus my entire career at, because I know that betting on these fastest horse items mm-hmm. will drive me so much farther than my peers. Yeah. If I tried to do anything besides that, I would have flopped and mm-hmm. I did flop for a year because I had to operate and it was a total nightmare. So I think if, if you're not good at the business side, if you don't want to do it, then you probably shouldn't and you should hire somebody else to do it Yeah, or just stay super small. And that's yeah. cool too. Like I know a lot of owners that do like $800,000 in sales and they make a quarter of a million dollars. Like you don't need to get big.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. You know, if you are going to grow and getting the right people in the right seats on the bus, right. As you use that uh, Gary Collins language, I think is, is a really important piece. You know, we have, uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking right now of one of our, our clients who, uh, is a husband wife team and he stays in the truck and she runs the business pretty much because that's what she's good at. And that's what he's good at. And it's a fantastic dynamic and they continue to grow with that, yeah. that, uh, relationship. That's, I think, I think you're right. Being okay with not you know, needing to like with just staying and what you're like really good at in that strength zone is, uh, that's half the battle. It's <laughs> just being okay with that.
1: I think so. It's knowing what you're good at and maybe most importantly, knowing what you're bad at mm-hmm. and then just doing the things you're good at. And if what you're good at is being like a tech mastermind, like that's incredible. That's a skill that I don't have and will never have. Yeah. And if I could produce two or $300,000 a year for my family doing that, then sure. Yeah, well, yeah I'd do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so all right, so John, you got a really impressive presence on Twitter. How do you think business owners in the home services <laughs> industry—and I say pre, I say relatively <laughs> awesome presence—and the reason yeah. being is because not many yeah. business owners in the home service space do. Um,
1: it's do it's you, high, more than zero, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, Winning. How do, how do you think business owners in the home services industry can make use of that platform specifically, or should they make use of that platform? What's your thoughts on it? Um,
1: I think it depends on your goals. So that's, I guess, the first point. The second point is Twitter has... I don't know what Twitter was like before December of 2020 when I joined. I have no idea. So like, other people are going to have to fill me in on that. But my understanding of the platform is that because of COVID, people began to use Twitter in a very different way Mm -hmm. now as a networking tool.
0: Yeah.
1: So before that, there was conferences, there was lunches, there was all this different stuff but you can't do that anymore. And a lot of people went to Twitter. So I have been using it as a networking tool mm-hmm. and it is, it has been incredible and it has honestly supercharged my career and the trajectory of our company because we have an audience now mm-hmm. and it is fascinating to watch what other people do with that audience. Like there's a guy down in Florida, four or 5,000 followers on Twitter. He went and I think he's 29 years old. And he went and bought a landscaping company that was doing $2 million a year in sales. And he raised every dollar off of Twitter. Wow. Hey, I'd like to raise money to do this. It's fascinating, is really interesting. So you can raise money, you can just straight up make money if that was really what you wanted to do. Like I've received checks, there's checks on my desk from people purely off of Twitter, which is insane. Like I tweeted their name enough times and they were a company and they started mailing me checks, <laughs> which is just nuts. Like I haven't cashed them yet because I just think it's hilarious. I think I'm going to frame them. And then you can raise money for deals and you can hire. Like I have, I Monday, five days ago, I onboarded my first Twitter hire.
0: Oh, wow. That's cool. That's a, that's a new application I haven't. haven't it gone. is. But if
1: you, if you think about it, so one of the biggest barriers to talent is, do they even want to work for me? Yeah. Right. You have to, you have to sell your company. Like, of course, of course you do. But what if you didn't, because someone reads most of your thoughts on a platform and can hear you on a podcast. And they're like, man, that guy's transparent. He fesses up to his mistakes pretty much in the, in the view of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's someone that I would want to work with. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. Almost every day I get an email from someone reaching out saying, Hey, this is what I do. I'd like to be a part of your team. Like very competent individuals. So I hired my first one Monday. That's awesome. Congratulations. Do
0: you have a strategy specifically for Twitter, a particular cadence that you engage with the platform on, or is it pretty random?
1: So I've been on Twitter for three months and we have just under 4,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And when I first started on the platform in mid December, I I heard this podcast and it was uh, my first million, Sean Parr and Sam, I don't remember his last name, but they talked about this random business idea that they had. They started a new company and then they wrote every single day what they did and what activities happened inside that company. And then they sold access to what they wrote. They ended up making more money in three months from selling access to what they wrote than they did from the company that they started. <laughs> it was, fat. it was, it was incredible. And, and yeah. just, I heard that. And literally the next morning I created a Twitter account because not that I was going to do that, although I'm probably going to do that. It really gave me an understanding of what you can do as a small business owner with yeah. an audience. Oh Yeah.
0: Yeah. And audience it's is so yeah, getting an audience is so powerful. Because if you have some oh, yeah. especially if you're a business owner, right? Because if you have mm-hmm. if you have people that you can pitch something to, they're already interested in you and what you have to say. Yeah. that's that's
1: dynamite. Like the, the trust barrier is gone. Like if yeah. I wanted to And I know this because people are reaching out to me actively. But if I wanted to, I could tweet something right now saying, hey, I need to create a $20 million rolling fund to go on an acquisition spree. I would fill that $20 million up in like three days, which is insane. Because of the trust that's built inside Twitter, it's insane. And I know this because I've seen people do it that are on there with me that I talk to. And they've raised $20 million rolling funds to go buy uh, self-storage units or to go buy uh, this one dude's doing concrete roll-ups down in Texas. Like this is a thing. It's a strategy.
0: <laughs> That's incredible, man. That is incredible. Do you have any other presences on uh, any other social media platforms or is it primarily
1: Twitter? Is just on Twitter. So the goal is to get to, I think you asked about cadence. So we're just developing our Twitter strategy and it's, it's, there's going to be a, a media component. I mean, honestly, me being on this podcast is a part of it. We are working to sort of get out there with what we're doing because although I'm on here for Wilson plumbing and heating, my main job is to buy home service companies. So we need people out there knowing that I buy home service companies so they can either send me potential acquisition targets or say, Hey, he was super transparent and I'd be interested in hearing him out. Mm -hmm. So podcasts are a big part of that. And a once a week value add, like how can I provide value to people through my own experience and failures on Twitter and then just interacting with people when they ask questions.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. It's pretty
1: low brow strategy, but it's been working.
0: Yeah. I think that the main thing you want to be focused on, especially when it comes to social media is the consistency, right? So if Mm -hmm. you're going to, if you're going to post once a week, post once a week and people get used to that. They understand it. That's what they look for, right? If you're going to post three times a week, don't say you're going to post three times a week and then post once a week or every other week, because then there's a discontinuity, (laughs) you know, there's no continuity Mm -hmm. in what you're saying and what you're doing. You know, I, I know social media can be a bit of a, bit of a black box for some home service business owners, especially potentially an older generation who isn't used to this social media thing. Uh, What kind of gap or opportunity in consumer knowledge do you think that home service businesses can address via social media?
1: Honestly, that's a good question. And I don't know that I have the answer to it. I would say that I don't feel that we have figured out the very best way to use social media yet. Mm -hmm. We use it in all of our companies and we get engagement I don't think that we are best in class at social media and I'd like to figure out what that is, but I think that we're probably a year away from it. Yeah. So as far as like direct to consumer, I think that we've got work to do. I think for what I'm currently using it for, I feel like we're doing well, but that, That's not the intended use for most home service companies.
0: Yeah. If you have somebody who wants to get involved in like some sort of social media platform, regardless of what it is, knowing what you've seen so far, even with your experience on Twitter, what would be the piece of advice you would give somebody, a business owner who's looking to get involved with a social media platform?
1: I think that audience is king. I mean, that's what it is on Twitter. And even with just a few thousand people, you can make an impact in your business or whatever your goals are. Yeah. Awesome. So that would be, yeah, consistently driving traffic towards it, posting on it frequently and yeah. make somebody own it. So that way, you know, that, you know, you're driving towards the results you want. Yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about training for someone so young. You got you have obviously a wealth of experience and wisdom when it comes to... Um, no, I'm young. Knowing now. <laughs> yeah. Age is just a number, my friend. <laughs> uh, but you got some knowledge, some experience about knowing uh, how to make uh, sure you're bringing out the best of your employees, right? So when did you realize that you wanted to enhance the training process to make it that much better for the people?
1: That was one of the first items we did back in 2017 to become as close to best in class as we could. Yeah, It has changed a lot (laughs) since then. A lot of soft skill training, more technical, a very different apprentice program now than it used to be. But that, I mean, right almost off the rip after buying in, we we created a three-time-a-week training program. Yeah. Difficult to manage during COVID. Oh, I but, bet. But uh, yeah.
0: Have you iterated it since then? And in what ways have you?
1: Yeah. I mean, the big thing we do now for training is onboarding is just so different. And that that sets the entire stage for that person's life cycle in our company. We'll take two weeks to onboard a technician. Mm-hmm.
0: It's
1: like a full... 10 paid days to do it. But when they exit that 10 day onboarding, which is obviously a huge investment. And I'm sure that most people are like, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but these guys are the most bought in technicians that we have. And the people that, that were here before, like our legacy employees, before we began this new onboarding program, still struggle with the new systems that we use still struggle with really being bought into what we're building as an organization, yeah. but the new employees that go through that, they, they get it. Like they're just, it's just a different level of employee. So the onboarding training was for us sort of the key to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. When we brought someone on, we knew that they were going to knock it out of the park. And then it just became repeating those little things that we got from onboarding.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, a specific cadence that you've set in place for you to review the onboarding on an ongoing basis to see how to improve it? Or how did you get signaled that you would want to make changes to it?
1: Uh, we had to make changes to it originally because it was terrible. Yeah, so, we well, had
0: those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, We, I mean, we sit down and talk about it every time. So mm-hmm. right after it's over, we ask them how they thought it went. We ask the trainer how we thought it went. And we see the results pretty quick. Like, oh, what's the gap that they're missing? So at 30, 60, 90, we figure out what gaps and, well, why doesn't he know that? That was gone over like very thoroughly in a two-week training, right? So what did we miss? So it's really with every employee, we sort of huddle up and figure out what went right, what went wrong, what to do better.
0: Yeah. How have you moved people around potentially as you've identified strengths and weaknesses of certain players in the team? What kind of moves have you made for employees to put them in the right seat on the bus, let's say?
1: Yeah. So that's been something that we focus a a lot more on. That was how we broke the $3 million plateau Mm -hmm. was people. The big one was who's operating. So just, I think it's playing your strengths again. Are you familiar with the EOS traction system? I'm not actually. No. Okay. You should check it out, but there's basically every company needs the same two people Mm -hmm. and you have the visionary and you have the integrator. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of different versions of this concept. Sometimes it's the operator and the allocator the president and the CEO, like Mm -hmm. it's all the same thing, but you need someone to figure out the vision and you need someone to run the company. Yeah. And those are two very different people. Like they're almost never the same. So figuring out which one you play best at is important. And then hiring your exact opposite who plays best at the other role is, Mm -hmm. is important. And then, so that's in management, like top management, that's hiring GMs. For service managers, it's who displays servant leadership. That's what works at our organization. I don't know what works at other places, but we're a very servant leadership focused group. Who's a team player? Who's going to dive out? Who's not too good to grab a drain machine? And who understands metrics and can drive performance? And then technicians, it comes down to personality-based. Like are you in service? Are you in install? Almost purely based on personality. Mm-hmm. And like strengths, like if, if your personality is not there, but you have a desire to get there, then the service could be a good fit. But if you just sort of want to show up and do your 40, then install is really probably the best fit for you.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, John, this has been awesome. As we wrap up conversationally here, obviously since purchasing the business uh, in 2016 till now, and as a full owner of the company and also several others, I'm sure you've learned a lot about being a leader in the process. What's surprised you most or what's the biggest lesson you've learned in that time from a leadership perspective?
1: Honestly, how much I don't like it. (laughs) Uh, My least favorite part of my job is the leadership component. I'm an introvert. My ideal day is sitting in my office and figuring out what the next five to 10 years of the company looks like, or here's a $3 $3 million company that I want to buy. And here's my company. How do I merge them together and just sort of do that? So yeah. that's, that is honestly the thing that's surprised me the most because I thought that I would want to be sort of the guy in charge. And I thought that I would want all of that. And I found very quickly that I didn't mm. and I shouldn't be that because I didn't want it. Like it was not, I was not having my best life. So learning to delegate to somebody that did want that was, was uh, very helpful. <laughs>
0: The uh, podcasting Twitter
1: owner is not a fan of the
0: spotlight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I. So, so I get it. I get it. I, mean, I get it. Uh, so no, so good. I have been off social media. Like I was on it when I was like eighteen or something. Mm-hmm. I have been off social media for like a full decade. <laughs> and then in December, I was like, I'm going to make Twitter. Sounds like you can uh, do, do some did. interesting <laughs> stuff with an audience. Uh, so no, crazy. I mean, yeah. I get it. It's a crazy thing, but uh, really not a fan of, of
0: that. Yeah. Well, John, I love your honesty. I love your transparency. And I just appreciate you gracing us with your time and your wisdom on this episode. Where can people find out a bit more about you?
1: So you can follow me on Twitter at, at Wilson Companies or at the uh, website, WilsonPlumbingAndHeating.com. Awesome.
0: John, I appreciate you. Appreciate your wisdom. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome.
0: For everybody listening, wherever you might be listening at, definitely hit that subscribe button on any of your podcasting platforms. Drop us a review. Helps the algorithms get this episode in front of even more people. And if you know somebody that needs to hear everything that John had to say, definitely share the episode around with them. We appreciate you, all our listeners. And until next time, from everybody here at The Sharpest Tool, we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Thanks.